The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is in the, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Um, John uh, urges his church, his, his church that he was pastor of and also extending on to us, that we are to be a people who, who love each other. And as we talked about Last week, this is pretty easy, right? Loving each other is just easy. We just naturally do this, right? Uh, well, maybe not. Uh, and it certainly isn't, isn't natural in the world. And I got to go back to my home country, the United States, this last summer, and I was really struck. Uh, people would say this often, how the world, and they were speaking really of their world, how, uh, how much fear and hate have really come to the surface, I think I don't think it's a new thing. I think the world has always been dominated by fear and hate, um, but it just seems more in your face now, right? It's just everywhere. There's this growing uh, animosity people have for each other and, and fear uh, at so many things. Uh, but we, as a church, are to, to be characterized by a life free from fear, a life of boldness and, and courage, and an extraordinary kind of love for each other. That's what's to mark us apart as followers of Christ and as his church. Um, but if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, we will have to admit that, that we don't always love uh, everyone as we should. Right? And the context, John's really focusing on our love within the body of Christ first. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't love the world, but the, the first priority of our relationship uh, of love is to be within the body of Christ and the family of God. Uh, we are uh, called to a kind of relationship where we love each other as the body of Christ uh, and those who are fellow um, Christians. Um, so, so uh, But if we're honest, we, we will have to admit that we don't always love uh, each other the way God loves us. Right? And that's the standard, right? It's not just that we love a little, love some, but we are to love in the same way that God loves us, which is an extraordinary kind of love. Um, we, we would probably also have to admit that often, far too often, our life is plagued with anxiety and worry and fear over things. Like I, I, I know I don't live a completely worry-free life. Right? Uh, so John encourages here that, that, um, that these are marks of a person who, who really knows God. They live a life without fear and with abundant love. Uh, but he's also uh, understanding that this is not like turning on a light switch, right? We just don't get saved and then instantly become 
people who just have this superhuman love all the time. It's something that has to be grown and cultivated and developed in our life. And the process, he, he lays out for us in John chapter 4, here in verses 13 through 21, a progression, if you will, a process that helps us, what he calls, be perfected in love, right? That helps us love be really rooted deeply in our life and take grip of the way we think and the way we act and the way we treat each other. Uh, it, it, this idea of it being perfected means doesn't mean that we love like God does perfectly, right? None of us will probably ever get there. We will never love perfectly. But the idea of love being perfected in us has the idea of meaning it's complete, it's full. Like we reach the full measure of understanding God's love in us, and we then have this capacity, this ability uh, to, to love other people in a supernatural way, beyond our own human uh, abilities. <clears throat> and so it has to be developed in us. It has to be perfected. It has to be um, uh, worked on, right? Just like playing an instrument. Uh, you don't pick up an instrument and sit down the first time at the piano and just play it perfectly. It takes, it takes a lot of practice. It takes work. It takes effort. You have to learn certain skills, and there's a progression to it. Um, uh, maybe, is anybody in the process right now of learning Thai? Anybody? Okay, we'll pray for you, you poor people, because uh, it's hard, right? You just don't automatically read a dictionary and poof, it's just there, right? It takes a lot of work. And there's a progression, and you have to, uh, you have to uh, go through this process of practicing. Right? Well, the same thing is true with love. And there's a sense in which practice makes perfect. Right? If we're to be perfected in love, we need to be practicing some things. We need to be working at it. And so John lays out this progression, uh, steps, if you will, to help us develop a greater capacity for love in our life. So it's perfected in us. Right? So let's look at what he says. Um, uh, and in this progression, what's interesting is that some of the things are actually things that God does for us, right? And then some of the things are things that we are responsible to do ourselves. Uh, so God's going to do his part, but we also have our part to do. So um, it starts off in verse 13 with the first thing, and he says in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him, that is in God, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, Okay, the first uh, step in this progress is to realize that we have been given the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. Right? If we are in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, the proof of it is that we have the very Spirit of God dwelling and living in us, abiding us, um, uh, abiding in us, uh, which means that He lives in a close relationship with us. Right? His presence, His very presence, is in us and with us. Um, and, and we know this is, uh, this is possible and a reality in our life uh, because it's a promise that God says that when we come to Christ, when we come to true faith in Him, that He promises us uh, the Holy Spirit. But really not only that, but it's a gift uh, that God gives that even makes knowing Him possible. Right? Um, I, I don't know if you're completely aware of this, uh, but in our sinful state, in our, in our condition apart from Christ, do, do you have any idea how, how blind we are? Right? The Bible says that we are spiritually blind. And what that means is that we don't have any means at all 
to see or understand God or know his love. Um, uh, we, we, are, we are without the capacity to see or understand. And so uh, the, the Holy Spirit has been given to us uh, to open our eyes and give us spiritual sight and vision. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians in very uh, clear terms when he says in Second Corinthians 4, 3-6, through 6, he says, And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Right? So for those who are lost, the gospel is, is like behind a curtain. It's veiled. And they, they can't see it. There's nothing they can do because it's sealed off from them. And he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, so Paul makes it very clear. One who is apart from Christ, who is an unbeliever, they are blind and they have absolutely zero capacity to see or understand who God is. And I've had this experience sharing Christ with uh, people who, who were lost. And you share the gospel and you, you make it perfect clear. And to you it just makes perfect sense. And And... And there's just, it's just not there, right? They just don't comprehend what you are saying. Uh, but he goes on in verse 6, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and Jesus says that he does this uh, through the Holy Spirit. John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Right? So, so what we need to understand is that um, the very ability we have to understand the Bible and to comprehend and grasp God, God's existence and to have any, any inkling of knowledge about his love for us is possible only because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our life and our hearts. And this is a gift of God, right? There's nothing we can do. In fact, there's a story in Acts where this guy saw the apostles come and lay hands on these new believers and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And, and he thought, wow, I could really, this is a great business opportunity. Imagine the money I could make if I could, if I could dispense the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. So he goes to the apostles and he says, I want to buy this gift, Right? And uh, Peter rebukes him, and he says, this is proof that you don't really know God, because you cannot buy the gift of God. Right? It is a gift. There's nothing you do to purchase it or earn it or deserve it. God gives us his spirit totally by his grace and goodness. He doesn't owe it to us. He could leave us in our blindness. But in his love and compassion, he has poured out his spirit so that we can see, right? So that the light turns on for us. And, and the, the, as he says, the, uh, the, the light of the glory of uh, God in the face of Christ becomes visible to us, right? So that's the first step in this whole process. Without the Holy Spirit, we're doomed. And you could read the whole Bible a uh, hundred times. You could memorize the whole Bible and be able to quote it word by word. But without the empowering, enabling vision-giving gift of the Holy Spirit, it would mean nothing to us. Right? It would just be empty words. And we would never understand what it means. Right? 
And so this, this in itself is, a, is an amazing gift of God's love, right? And, and it's something that God has done for us. Now, our part in this, I think, uh, is to become aware of this gift, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit's done that. And at the very beginning, when we first were blind, we may not even have been aware of how the Holy Spirit came and began to work in our hearts and minds and give us vision and understanding. But, but now we know that. We know that the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts and lives. And the first thing we need to do is just acknowledge that. So when we go to Scripture, when we come to church, or when we uh, contemplate God's Word, um, the error that we can make is to think, well, I'm a pretty smart guy. I read Greek and Hebrew, or at least I know how to Google it, you know. Um, I can figure this out. I'm a bright person. I don't need, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Well, that would be a great mistake. That would be kind of see God in our own pride by our own ability. And, and that won't work, Right? We, we need to come to God with a humility and acknowledge, God, I, I cannot figure this out on my own. I can't know your love. I can't understand what you had done for me without the help of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me your Holy Spirit. Uh, may, he, may, may, may my mind be open to what he wants to teach me and speak to my heart. Right? So that's the first, the first thing, first step. Uh, it's just to live in a greater awareness of this gift of the Holy Spirit that has been given to help us understand who God is and what he's done. Um, John continues on with the second step. First step of the Holy Spirit. Second step, he says this. He says in verse 14, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay, so... Uh, we can ask the question, what really do we need to understand? What's important? What's the most important thing for us to understand that the Holy Spirit's going to help us with? And what we need to understand, what, what's most important, is what I would call the testimony or the message of the apostles, the apostolic witness. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, a long time ago when Jesus lived on earth, he had followers who were with him, and he chose 12 who he named apostles. right? And they were like his official witnesses. And they saw how he lived. They went with him everywhere. They, they saw everything he did and everywhere he went. They saw him in public. They saw him in private. Uh, they saw what happened when he was arrested and taken to the cross. They saw him nailed to the cross and treated horribly by, uh, by the Jews and by the Romans. They saw him die. And they were witnesses to him being put in the tomb and uh, his body remaining there for three days. But they were also witnesses to the resurrection. They went to the empty tomb and they saw in it, and they saw uh, Jesus' grave clothes with his body gone. And they were witnesses to the resurrected Jesus who appeared to them many times and instructed them and taught them. And they touched his body resurrected. And they saw his wounds and the scars in his hands. Right, And so John starts off his his uh, epistle here in First John with these amazing words. He says, that which, from the, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched concerning the word of life. Right? John was one of those apostolic witnesses. And so he went out, not only did he witness what happened, but he went out and testified to the world. And he wrote it down in the Gospel of John and in these epistles, along with other witnesses. 
Right? So we have received this, this gospel message. And he summarizes it in these simple words. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. I could, I, could, I could actually preach a whole series just on that one little phrase right there, right? Because uh, there's a lot there. Uh, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, fully man, fully God, sent from heaven, eternal God, uh, as the Savior of the world. And he saved the world by laying down his own life as a sacrifice on the cross and taking the full punishment for sin that we deserved, right? That's how he saved us. So that's the gospel message. Right? So, so why is it we need to know that message? Why is that so important? Well, for one, because it is our salvation. Right? That is how we are saved, as we'll see in a minute. But he said earlier in John, uh, 1 John 4, 9, he said, In this is the love of God made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Right? So if we're we're talking about being perfected in love, what John is saying here is that uh, to really really grow into the fullness of the experience of God's love, we need to know what it meant for God to love us. And the fullest expression, the fullest manifestation of God's love is found in him sending his son to die for us. Uh, it It is a crazy extreme kind of love where... God displayed the full extent of his love by giving up his own son, right? uh, the most precious thing to him. Uh, Jesus himself uh, expresses it this way in John 13. It says, Now before the feast of, of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then in, in the rest of this passage, he, he, uh, he washes their feet, uh, which really becomes a symbol of what he was going to do on the cross. Right? You understand that Jesus washing his feet just wasn't because their feet were dirty, right? It's, it's an object lesson showing that Jesus took on the form of a servant and uh, went to great ex- extremes, not as, not as king and lord, but as, as the lowest position dying on the cross and taking the filth and dirt of, uh, of their sin upon himself, right? And he describes it as loving them to the end. And it has the idea that Jesus showed to the fullest extent possible uh, God's love for them, right? In other words, he took, he took love to the furthest length that, that love could possibly go. And really, what, what, what more, what greater thing could you do to show love for somebody than to die for them, Right? That's, that's all-out love, right? That's, that's the furthest you could possibly take love. And, and that's what, what God did for us. And, and so it's vitally important, if we're going to understand God's love, that we understand, really, how much God loved us. And the only way we can know that is to grasp fully uh, what Jesus did on the cross, right? And to really know what God has done for us. And, and this, too, is something that God has done. Both the gift of his son and the gift of the messengers who proclaim it are initiated by God, right? Uh, we didn't have anything to do with that, right? We didn't, we didn't have anything to do with God sending his son. It's something that he chose to do all on his own. 
Before the beginning of time, it says, He made that choice and that decision. He knew when He created us that we were going to rebel against Him. And that the only way He could save us would be through, through the redemption, through the purchase of Jesus' blood. Right, the price, the purchase price of Jesus' blood. Uh, so that was his gift. But also, the gift of the messengers are, are also gifts of God. Uh, we know, we, we live in this part of the world in Asia where there are literally billions of people who are out of range of the message of the gospel. Right? Uh, there, are, there are whole people groups, whole language groups, who don't have one word of the Bible in their language. Right? Who, who are beyond the reach of anyone, any messenger who could tell them. Right? Um, do you know what a gift it is for you and me that we have heard this message? Right? What a gift. And again, did we do anything? Right? Did, we, did we go out looking for it? <laughs> right? No. God sent us messengers. He, he put us in places where we could hear this message. What a gift, right? And, and God, uh, God is careful and he's, He is intentional and He makes sure that those whom He wants to save hear the message. Now we can say, well, what about those? It seems really unfair for those that, that don't get to hear the message. Well, I think it is unfair, right? And I hope that's why you live in Thailand. Right? I hope you're here. Because you want to make sure that people everywhere in every tribe and tongue and language get to hear that message. Right? Uh, and, and God's heart and God's call is that we go to the nations to proclaim that message. But, but what a gift it is for us. What a treasure it is for us that we have this message. That we have scripture. That we have the witness of the apostles. That we have preachers and teachers and books and radio programs and podcasts. Right? That we can soak in this message. Uh, so that's God's gift. But of course, uh, the gift is worthless if we don't take advantage of it. Right? And so our part is to immerse ourselves in this message. Right? That we uh, expose ourselves as much as possible to, to the teaching about the gospel. To people who will bring before us over and over again what God has done in Christ. Uh, I remember one time teaching um, in, a, in a village up in the mountains here. And, and I was going on about how we really need to keep preaching Christ and keep preaching the cross. And uh, these guys said to me, well, you know, we're saved. We, we know this already. Uh, we, we know this. Can't we move on to something else? <laughs> it's like, well, no, you can't, right? Because cause you don't really know this, right? If you really knew this, you, you would not want to move away from it, right? Uh, you, would, you would cherish this message, it's not something we ever outgrow. Right? Uh, and, and, and the reason is because until love is perfected in us, we need to hear this message. Right? Until it is so overflowing out of us that we become people of, who, who love like Jesus, we have got to keep coming back to this message over and over. So the, the, the call for us, our part, is to do that, right? Is to, is to go back to the cross over and over and over to reflect and meditate on it until the reality of what Jesus did for us unravels us, right? Until it changes us. Until it so impacts us that we become different people, right? Um, so those first two steps. And again, these are mostly things that God has done. He's given us his, his spirit. He has sent messengers to tell us the good news. 
Third step in verse 15. Whoever then confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This one is on us, okay? This is our response. And it is the confession of faith. Right? We, we, we receive the Holy Spirit. He does his work. He gives us eyes to see and a mind that can understand. We hear the message and we are exposed to it. But we then must respond to it. And we respond, he says, through the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, what that means is uh, we confess that it's true. Right? We, we, we declare and proclaim, yes, we agree that Jesus wasn't just some guy. He wasn't just another person. He was the incarnate Son of God. He sent from heaven. God's eternal Son who came as Savior of the world. Right? Uh, it also means that we accept it as true and believe in it personally. Right? We have faith in that message. Uh, we understand that it's a gift from God that we must receive. Right? It's not something we buy. It's not something we earn or deserve or work for or merit. Right? We, we just receive it as a gift and confess its truth. Right? And this confession is to be public. Right? Uh, confession means to announce it out loud. Right? Um, so what does that mean? Well, uh, there are several ways that we make this profession public, that we make this confession public, um, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came to take away our sin. Uh, we do that first, uh, for most Christians do it first, in, in, in baptism. Right? We, we baptize people publicly. It's great we've got the swimming pool over here. By the way, if you want to get baptized, if you haven't done this, this is your confession. We have a pool over there. We do it publicly where people can see it, where the church can see it. And you make that de- declaration. I am choosing in baptism to follow Christ, to put my faith in what he has done. I'm proclaiming Jesus as son. Right? Um, secondly, we do it through our witness. We tell people that, hey... I used to be a sinner. I used to worship other gods. I used to follow other things. But now I choose to follow Jesus because I believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world. And we, we tell people that, that, that our, our, our testimony, what, what he has done in us to save us. And thirdly, we confess through our, our worship together. Just you being here this morning, you sh- showed up at a Christian church where they preach Jesus and they talk about the cross, and uh, you, you, you're you identifying yourself as somebody, especially if you come back more than once. Like if you come once and you're like, oh, that was weird. I'm not going back there. Okay, I get that. But, but if you keep coming back, you're identifying with the message. You're identifying with the community, right? You're making public, hey, I'm, I'm one of these crazy people, right? And in our worship, by worshiping together, we are in our worship acknowledging Jesus is the Son of God who, who came to save the world. And so that also is our witness as we worship together. Right? It's our confession. Our confession. There's probably other ways that we can confess him, but, but those are some of the main ones. Um, and that's our response. So if we believe it's true, we can't keep it a secret. We, we must make this confession of faith. Um, then finally... <clears throat> Most important part, verse 16, because it's kind of the heart of the matter in this progression. Uh, we, we get to the, uh, the nitty-gritty. He says, so then 
we have come to know and to believe the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, so here we finally come to it, right? Uh, So we have come to know and to believe that God loves us. Um, The result of this progression of the Holy Spirit, the message of our confession, is that we come to know and believe uh, this love that God has for us. First of all, we know all that God has done. We, we know really who, who God is. We know who Jesus is. And we know all that he's done and the extent of it to show his love for us in Christ. But, but we don't just know it, right? We then also believe it. We have a deep conviction and certainty that it's true and that Jesus did this for me, right? It's, it it, it, it it, it hits us upside the head with a reality that, wow, God really loves me. He really gave his son for me, and I believe it, right? I believe it's true. Uh, and these two words uh, in the Greek, it's, uh, if you're a Greek student, it's, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's, a, it's an event that has ripple effects, right? It's a knowledge and belief with ripple effects. You know, you throw a rock in a... In a, in a in a pond, uh, in a moment that rock splashes in and makes a, a big splash. But then there's the ripple effect, right? The ripples continue on, sometimes for a long time as it ripples all over the whole lake, right? Well, that's what this word here means. We, we know it's a one-time event with ongoing ripple effects. And we believe with ongoing, actually eternal ripple effects. Uh, Romans eight thirty-one and 32 puts it this way. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? We know that's true of us. Right? That we have a God who loves us that much. Uh, and who, who gave up his own son out of his love for us. And who will graciously give us all things. Uh, we know that in a way that changes us. Right? It changes who we are as a person. Uh, and not just head knowledge, but true heart knowledge, true belief and conviction that God loves me that much. Um, and, and, and through that, it says that we come to abide. This, we have this fellowship of abiding in his love and in God. Right? Uh, and, and I think... John's trying to wrestle with words here that, and concepts that kind of go beyond words. But I think what he means by abiding is that, um, you know, you live in, in, in the reality of it. You live in the space where God is and where his love is. And it's kind of like this. Uh, you can study in school about all kinds of different countries. You can pick one. Tanzania, I don't know. Fiji, that's where two of my grandkids went this summer on mission trips. So that's why it's on my, my brain. Um, you can study, you can look at pictures about those places, you can read about the culture, you could, you could even study the language, right? And you could come to know a lot about those countries by, by this information. Uh, but there's nothing like actually going to that country. I remember the first time I stepped foot in India, right? And you know, you know the first thing, that, which pictures do not communicate. Uh, the first thing, what was the first thing that hits you in the face when you land in India? 
The smell, right? Right? The smell. Whoa. That and just the crush of people. Like, I came from a county where, like, if three cars passed, it was like a major traffic jam, right? Well, in India, there's just this crazy crush of people. Um, I think I think all half a billion people were all at the train station at the same time I was, all of them, right? And those senses are, are is a different kind of knowing, right? Well, I think that's what John's talking about here. He says, he says you, you abide in his love. It's not just knowing it remotely from a distance. It means you now live in that space. You live in that place where God's love is, is the very air that you breathe. It's the very atmosphere where you live as you live in, 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 in his presence. And it becomes not just information, but it becomes experience. Right? It becomes something that you experience personally. Right? Uh, do, do you want to experience God's love like that? Maybe a better question is, do you need to experience God's love like that? I think we do. Right? I think we need to experience him that way. Right? And so, so John wraps it up in verse, verse 17, getting back to the start here. He says, by this, by all of this, is love perfected with us. Right? So this, this progression is not just some random journey I've been talking about. He says, by this, love is perfected. If you want to experience God's love, if you want to know it at that level, if you want it to be something that, that has this dominating force in your life, this is what it means to practice and go through this progression of building up love muscles in our life, right? By becoming aware and thankful of the Holy Spirit's presence, of, of sinking into the message of the apostolic witness of, of the gospel, of, of continually making this our confession of, of faith, uh, and, and of knowing and believing it's true. Right? By this, love is perfected with us. Um, it's a work ultimately of God. It's a work ultimately His Holy Spirit has to do. But, um, but he wants our participation with it. Right? Uh, Paul actually prays for this for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3. One of my favorite verses, I love praying this prayer. And I pray this for you, I pray it for myself. Uh, it's a great uh, way to pursue this. Right? He says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power in his, through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so in this is using not the vision, the, the, the uh, word picture of blindness, but of weakness. He says not only are you too blind to understand, you're actually too weak. Like the, the weight of God's glory is such that if, if you're not strengthened inwardly, uh, it would just crush you. Right? So you need to be fortified, strengthened, built up in your inner person through his Holy Spirit. Right? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. A love that's so extraordinary you can't even know it. But somehow you can know it, right? As the Holy Spirit strengthens you and gives you a power to comprehend his love, right? Uh, boy, do we need this, right? Do we need this? And it is life-changing. 
Um, so let me, let me, let me close uh, with just a couple last things. One of, the, one of the problems with love is that it's, it's kind of a vague, random, out there thing. And it would be easy to, to just say, well, I do love God. I love people. I love myself. God loves me. It's all good, right? Because um, it's easy to say the words, right? It's easy to say, well, of course I love the body of Christ. I lo- of, course, of course I love God's people. I'm not, I'm not a terrible person. Of course I love everybody. Good for me, right? Um, so so we've got to put this to the test, right? Is there some kind of, like, you know, with COVID, we've all gotten pretty, we're all experts at jabbing things up our nose, getting our boogers, and doing our home ATK test, because that's how we, we do it now, right? And we're good at that, right? So is there some kind of at-home ATK test for love, right? Well, John says, yes, there are. There are two tests you can put your life to, to, to see if love is really being perfected in us. And real quickly, there are two simple things. First is a life without fear. Life without fear, right? He says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Right? This past week, were you anxious at all? Were you worried? Were there moments of fear? Right? Well, that's a sign that love is not perfected. Right? And he says, says the root of of all fear, the root of all fear is God's judgment, is is the knowledge. And I think it's an unconscious, hidden, deep thing that every human being lives in the reality of knowing they will one day stand before God, even though they may deny he exists. I think deep inside, every human being knows that uh, death brings judgment and that we will stand before God. And notice John does not say here, uh, there's no fear because God's just a nice guy who's not going to hurt anybody. That's not what he says. He says, no, there, there's no fear in love because, uh, because fear has to do with punishment and judgment. There is judgment. God is a, is a God of love, but he is, uh, it, it is his very love that causes him to judge sin. Right? Just as any parent, uh, we love our kids, and if somebody bullies our children... We get angry, right? It's our love for our child that causes us to want justice for them, right? Same thing is true of God. And his love is so much greater, it makes his justice and his judgment so much greater, right? We don't have time to go into that one. Um, but, but there is judgment. And we're all, apart from Christ, guilty. Right? We all have the sense that we are... S- about to stand before a judge and we are doomed, right? But perfect love takes that away because perfect love reminds us that, yes, we are guilty and there is a punishment for our sin, but Jesus bore the punishment, right? And it's perfect love that brings us to really understand and believe that there is now no condemnation, right? We're not guilty, now, how this works out in everyday life is this. If you had something bad happen to you, your car breaks down, you get a flat tire, or you just have one of those days where it all, happens at the, it all happens in one day, right? Everything bad happens all at once. And every, every possible thing goes wrong. And at some point in the day, you start thinking, you know, I probably deserve this, 
God's probably punishing me. Have you ever thought that? Well, I hope not, because it's wrong. It is a lie of Satan, right? And it means that love has not been perfected. Because why? Because Jesus has taken the full punishment. There is no more punishment for sin. Well then, why do all those bad things happen? Well, I don't know why, right? But it's not because you're in trouble. It's not because of judgment or punishment. It may be discipline, but discipline is different. Discipline is God's good plan to teach you and grow you, right? And the reality is that all those things may be bad things, but in God's plan, they are good, right? God never stops being good and loving toward you, right? And when we come to the awareness and reality of that, right, when we know how much we're loved, and we know that everything that comes into our life is part of God's good, loving purpose and plan, there's no fear, right? I don't have to worry about those bad things because it's not the end of the world, right? Even though that's how I feel sometimes. I don't have to worry about it because it doesn't mean God doesn't have things in control anymore, right? Perfect love casts out fear, right? And, and when, when we're perfected in love, we, we live with huge confidence knowing that God is going to take care of us. So I ran out of, the, ran out of money two weeks before I run out of month. <laughs> Ever had that happen? Three weeks before you run out of the month, right? I have to worry because why? God loves me. And God's going to take care of me, right? God has it covered. Second thing, um, uh, a life without hate. Right? We love because he first loved us. Uh, another way to put that is because of the incredible love that God has poured out in you, the ripple effect of that is that you can't help but love other people. It changes you. It makes you a much nicer person, <laughs> a much kinder, more loving person. Right? When, when love is perfected in us, he says, uh, when we know God's love so fully and completely that we know and believe with those ripple effects, we will start loving others, right? We will love others. Verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? Um, the, the, the hate test, okay? Uh, is there hate in your life? Right? Now, of course, most of us will answer this. So this, is, this is too easy, right? Well, of course I don't hate. Because only horrible people hate, and I'm not a horrible person. Now, do I not like some people? Well, yeah, I don't hate them, right? Well, unfortunately, in the way the Bible uses the word, we, we just can't get off the hook that easily. Because in the Bible, hate doesn't mean to like despise and have animosity and to be hostile towards somebody. Hate simply means not loving. Okay? Hate simply means not doing the loving and caring thing for somebody. Right? So... So if you're not doing what, what, what God calls you, what God would do towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are not forgiving, right? if you're not showing care and concern, if you're not being patient, right? if you're not uh, being gentle and kind, you are hating right? in, in the, the way the Bible uses the word. Right? Um, 
are those are, are there are there sometimes those things in your life, right? Are there times when the fruit of the spirit is not flowing out of you towards uh, towards other people? Well, then love's not really being perfected yet, right? And it means we need to work on it, right? It means we we need to go back to the progression. We need to go back to square one and and work on love, right? And, and the amazing thing is, he says he says in verse 21, you know, love is not optional. It's not like something that some Christians can do, but, well, I don't have to worry about it. You know, he says, look, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, it's not, it's not optional for us. Right? And, and I, I've talked to, talked to people who are here as missionaries uh, who, who tell me, well, I love lost people. I'm here for lost people. I love lost people. I just can't deal with Christians. Right? Well, John says something different, right? He says, yeah, I'm glad you love lost people, but guess what? Right? Uh, whoever loves God must also love his brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? That seems kind of like bad news, I know. But uh, here's the deal. The world is so full of hate and fear. Right? And, and, and Jesus prayed for this in John 17 because it really is our most powerful witness. Why would people want to be Christians if Christians are just as full of hate and fear as everybody else? Right? It is the most powerful apologetic proof that the gospel is true when we love each other. Right? Because it's so unlike the world. Right? They can't do this. They can't. They can tolerate each other. <laughs> They can't love each other, right? Uh, but we're called to this, right? And, and God wants to so fill, so perfect, so fill our hearts and lives with love that this becomes just who we are, right? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much that you are a God of love. Uh, and uh, we, we really have such a limited and small view of what that means. And Lord, we do need to be perfected. We need to expand and grow our vision of, uh, of what you have done for us, how, how great your love for us is. And not just in, in information, but in, in true experience. And, and Lord, I pray that uh, we all come as broken people. We all come as people who, who have... Um, have reasons in our life not to not to believe in love and uh, to not trust it, and we need healing. We need we need the work of your Spirit to give us a greater vision of how perfect your love is, and how all-encompassing, and how life-changing it is. So Lord, we just pray for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Help us understand ever deeper levels the wonderful message of the cross and of of the demonstration of your love through sending your Son for us. And Lord, may, may it truly change us. May we be a people so impacted, so touched by your love that we become just incredibly loving people in every relationship we are in. Lord, help us, we pray. And we confess, Lord, that too often our lives are full of fear and, and unlove towards those we're supposed to care for.
forgive us, Lord, and, uh, and change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.